Dennis. Good morning. So on today's program, we're looking at ways to make Hong Kong a more attractive tourist destination. After the number of outgoing travelers outstripped incoming tourists over the long weekend, while the city was bustling with hundreds of thousands of people packing into both sides of Victoria Harbour to watch the National Day fireworks and restaurants reporting a healthy rise in business, tourist numbers are still short of pre-pandemic levels, while locals are increasingly looking to spend their money across the border. Chief Executive John Lee says authorities must face up to this trend and both the government and the private sector should look into new ways to make Hong Kong a better draw for tourists. Meanwhile, he declared the Night Vibes campaign a success and says it will continue on until next year. So how can the city attract more travellers and boost domestic spending? Night markets have added some momentum, but what next? And after 9.40am, we will be looking at a new study on obstructed sleep apnea in children. And just before 10 o'clock this morning, we'll get the latest on the Asian Games. So let us know what you think. You can leave us a message on our Facebook page, email us at backchat at rthk.hk or call us on 233-88266. So joining us on the line this morning, we have Casper Choi. He's the Executive Director of the Federation of Hong Kong Hotel Owners. Good morning, Mr Choi. Good morning. Morning. Also on the line, Andy Kwan. He's an economist and director of the ACE Centre for Business and Economics Research. Good morning, Mr Kwan. Good morning. Good morning. And also with us is Maurice Kong. He's a chairman of the Institute of Dining Professionals. Good morning, Mr. Kong. Good morning. Good morning. Good. Good morning. So we'll start with you, Casper Choi, uh, Federation of Hong Kong Hotel Owners. How did the hotels do over this bustling weekend? Well, um, I guess it's, it's not too bad. Uh, I, I think there is this misconception that we need to fixate on the volume and the numbers. Uh, we're seeing uh, tourists coming to Hong Kong. They are enjoying the stay. Uh, they are staying late because we have the night night campaign. Uh, some restaurants, they're getting more customers. Uh, so um, I, I think it, the important thing is, are we attracting the, the type of tourists that we want? And uh, are they enjoying themselves? Are they spending? Are they staying overnight? Uh, I, I think this is a good start because, uh, uh, like I said uh, before, uh, in other occasions, uh, the COVID uh, basically changed our habit. And just to get everybody uh, to stay out later at night, uh, uh, spending more, uh, this is a good trend. Right. Mr. Choi, so um, these uh, mainland tourists are coming to Hong Kong, but are they staying overnight? Um, they, they are. Um, we were a bit worried uh, because uh, initially we were looking at the trend uh, comparing to the May uh, uh, holiday. Um, it, it, it seems that uh, they are only coming in the first few days, but you know, we noticed that if you go out on the street, especially in Tsinchai, like yesterday, or even if you go out and, and check it out today, you, you're still seeing a lot of tourists uh, uh, on the streets. Uh, hotels, we're still pe seeing people checking in. Um, so uh, uh, I, I guess the tourists are, are spreading out and spending more time in Hong Kong. You're talking, you were talking about the type of tourists earlier. So what is the occupancy rate at the higher-end hotels, your five-star hotels, compared with the lower-end hotels? <clears throat> well, um, I think this is also another conception. We, we try not to compare the five- and six-stars hotel to the, to the lower-stars. Uh, it's about the locations as well. Uh, tourists are coming in. Uh, we've got different types of tourists. Tourists who wish to spend more time uh, 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 shopping, they may find uh, hotels uh, 
uh, with less facilities, uh, maybe a cheaper but in good location. Uh, some are still willing to spend and have a good service. So, you know, six-class hotels are there. They are all uh, quite fully booked up uh, uh, this uh, holiday. Um, so the next step is we need to figure out how do we continue this plan? And besides the um, leisure travel, are we having enough content, events, conferences, meetings to lure them back to Hong Kong the rest of the year? Okay, uh, over to you, Maurice Kong. You're with the Institute of Dining Professionals. How have the restaurants been doing this past weekend? Uh, we are happy to see uh, more and more tourists did uh, decide to come back to Hong Kong again. And uh, quite a lot of restaurants, uh, fully booked uh, even before uh, Mid-Autumn Festival. Yeah. Uh, in, in fact, this period, uh, Mid-Autumn Festival is another you know, uh, big uh, festive for quite a lot of Hong Kong residents. So they will be booked in restaurant, okay, for family dinner, yeah, and, and also uh, dine out. It seems that it is another you know, good indication yeah, for Hong Kong residents, yeah. Have we been seeing better performance for, for the higher-end restaurant or the lower-end restaurant? Uh, in, in fact, uh, we did check uh, both uh, um, uh, restaurants uh, performance. And we were told the performance uh, was pretty good. And uh, for high-end, uh, even the, the restaurant good for family gathering, yeah. Yeah, the performance are, are pretty good, actually. So this uh, good performance, is it mainly focused on Chinese restaurants? I mean, compared to uh, Western restaurants, for example? And, uh, normally, uh, normally uh, during those festive, uh, especially the autumn festival, uh, most of the people, they prefer go to Chinese restaurant. Yeah. And however, uh, in Hong Kong, more and more difficult uh, uh, bistro that cover restaurant. And that's also good for those uh, um, family, okay, to go there to have a family gathering. So Andy Kwan, you were the A Centre for Business and Economics Research. Casper um, Cho mentioned mm -hmm. earlier that we really need to bring back the big conferences uh, and business travel. Um, what do you think of that idea? Is, 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 uh, is business travel coming back to Hong Kong? Uh, uh, not the same degree, not, 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 that, uh, not like the, la uh, the last few years. I mean, uh, before the pandemic. Uh, but I think it's slowly getting there if we try to uh, try to fish those uh, people back and uh, I think there's a hope there but uh, it depends on like uh, uh, how much government can uh, put into this kind of effort but I can see like uh, if we work hard on this we should be able to get back more uh, business travelers uh, coming back coming to Hong Kong but uh, I do want to uh, point out one thing is about the night economy in this case um, we just restart the night economy, but uh, because of the uh, change in behavior, customers don't, uh, people don't come out that uh, late or they used to stay home. And uh, at this point, we try to uh, convince them to come out. So we need to put more effort to, uh, to inject more new ingredients into the uh, night economy. Uh, we, we start the economy is good, but by putting more pristine uh, ingredients into the night economy, it will help uh, even further. I can see that uh, Hong Kong is very attractive in terms of uh, by looking at the harbor and uh, looking at all kinds of like uh, culture, arts, uh, sport events. And uh, But 
we do have to put more effort uh, into that uh, this kind of areas. All right. So, so how how well do you think uh, the Night Vibes campaign actually went? I mean, the, the chief executive he he said it's a success. What's your assessment? Well, I would not say it's uh, it's a successful event uh, uh, in that respect because, like, uh, it's new, so people come out to see it. But uh, whether people will continue to come out to see it and uh, it remains to be seen. The main thing is like uh, if you just want to keep the night markets, try to attract people, yes, that's fine. But we need to do more. As I said, uh, I went to like the one night market, like uh, the K11 and uh, the Avenue of the Stars. It's a very, very good place. But at the same time, I think the scale of the event is small. I'm a little bit disappointed at the number of booths there, and also like uh, and uh, and in terms of like offering the different kinds of like uh, items there. So also trying to sell the uh, local culture, also arts and that kind of things are a little bit lack of. And uh, to me, like there are more efforts you could put in this kind of night markets. At the same time, I want to I want to emphasize that like. Uh, Hong Kong cannot stand still, and Hong Kong should be like transformed into something like a more festive city, like a, a city of both of festivals. Because when you have more festival in uh, in Hong Kong, you create more stickiness to tourism, and also more local people would like to come to see the the festivals, like uh, something like uh, you have October Fest, you have a mid uh, mid autumn festival, you have a Halloween, and you have you can introduce more new uh, new festival to Hong Kong, new events, so that uh, Hong Kong become more attractive and the night economy become a new engine of growth. I think I hope uh, I hope the government can do it. Um, Casper Chair, has the Night Vibes campaign helped the hotel industry? Um, yes, I think so. Um, I, I beg to differ. I think the, uh, the the night market shouldn't be too big uh, in scales. Otherwise, you know, they're not here to replace uh, the shopping malls or the shopping districts. Uh, they are, you know, another really attractive uh, niche that we can attract, you know, Hong Kong residents to come and, you know, tourists to come and see. Uh, I think more importantly is how do we make it an, an, an annual event if uh, some of the initiatives are successful? Uh, not to mention, I mean, we have a list of other night events uh, happening. Like if you go to the West Kowloon Cultural District, uh, you're going to have the Jazz Festivals coming. And uh, we're going to also, uh, in terms of football, we, we also have the, uh, the World Cup qualifier uh, in the middle of October. So we, we do have a list of events. We just need more promotions uh, to let the tourists and the local residents know about it. Okay, uh, Andy Kwan, several things. Um, even if we have more festivals, and you've been talking about luring Hong Kong people out uh, to spend in the evenings, the uh, immigration figures actually show it, and I'm sure we've all read that, that, the, that more than 1.19 million people arrived in Hong Kong, but then 1.39 million left over the, the holiday weekend. Um, mm is luring people, local people out even even viable? Uh, John Lee, talk about the fact that we now need to face a trend that local people just want to have a holiday abroad instead. So, you know, um, it's luring local people out the answer to, to um, you know, a fix to the economy? Yes, yes, I think so. Because the main thing is that when you open the economy up, people tend to, like, go abroad. They travel abroad. That does that makes sense because of some kind of like after three years of quarantine, put this way, like people get bored. That's why they want to go to see. Okay, 
And also, when you think about people going back to China, and one thing we have to consider, we cannot compete with uh, Shenzhen uh, in terms of pricing, in terms of prices, because uh, they offer very cheap prices. We do have to compete in terms of the quality of events and uh, what kind of like uh, West and East cultures and, uh, 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 put in Hong Kong there, because it's, it's quite uh, new to to uh, to uh, mainland uh, tourists, if you if they come to Hong Kong, see like some kind of Halloween events, even like uh, you have all kinds of activities in in uh, Victoria Harbour. Think about like you host certain like events, like uh, even firework. Like uh, when you look at firework, uh, there was about there's about like uh, close to half a million people coming out. And when you when you try to compare with the last event, it's about twenty or fifty thousand people. And you have that kind of like event like firework and uh, some kind of like small uh, autopilot planes we call it drone, I think, uh, the so-called drone event. And you have come some kind of like uh, harbor activities. Like uh, I think about like Sydney. The Sydney government put a lot of effort to have many, many events uh, in the harbor, and which is very attractive, very successful. You look at Montreal. Montreal is a small city, but it's full of events. And that, that's why they attract, uh, the city can, a uh, small city can attract many, many customers and people stay there. And when you go to places like, uh, this kind of like Montreal, Sydney, you remember those events. You want to go back every year. That's why I always emphasize. If you want to make Hong Kong attractive, you cannot do the uh, same old things. You have to create more pristine elements into the city. That's why you need to create more events and uh, more festivals. And festival can create uh, stickiness, and people can go back to see. And uh, think, think you well, a great example of Japan. You go back to Japan and see, like, uh, like in October, in uh, in uh, in uh, July, you want to see that kind of flowers, whatever. People become like a habit every year to go back. You just have to create that kind of stickiness. And uh, in terms of local people, if you you provide area, uh, something like very new and pristine. And uh, even like a firework every week, uh, now you play some kind of firework competition. And it's, it's really exciting. You people gather out, they see all the people around, they, they feel happy, they stay, they spend money. This kind of atmosphere you need to create, and uh, this will spread all over the city. Okay, uh, we have an email from a listener, TC. He says, I remember Backchat discussing this topic when Hong Kong was only a haven for parallel shoppers. I also remember saying that the Hong Kong tourism industry should look at quality more than quantity, in that it should look at higher spending tourists from the West who want to come to Hong Kong for a cultural experience. I mean, Andy Kwan, uh, a main problem with um, not bringing tourists from outside China is a lack of flights, isn't it? We, we, the, the, the number of routes between Hong Kong, direct flights between Hong Kong and other major cities is just not the same as before the pandemic. Isn't that a problem? Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, 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 that's true. Uh, we need to get back to the same level as soon as possible in terms of number of flights. But uh, we're getting there because, like, uh, but my, my main concern is that we're losing, like, uh, some kind of, like, um, uh, like uh, North American customers because of the tight relationship between China and Hong Kong. But at the same time, we can fish more customers, uh, more tourists from Asia too, uh, or even from the break. So in this case, uh, I do think uh, the airline industry uh, can can help if they like uh, they can bring back the uh, more 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 flights and back to normal. And you can see that people come to Hong Kong, they like Hong Kong. 
at the same time, we need to promote Hong Kong, but at the uh, we still need uh, more airline, uh, more air, a number of flights. We still more uh, more promotions overseas. Uh, by the time you do that, and uh, I think Hong Kong can be very competitive in terms of attracting people from overseas. At the same time, can retain more local people stay in Hong Kong if you provide more quality events. Maurice Kong, what about with the dining industry? What kind of help or, or uh, events do you think will be useful to revive the uh, dining industry in terms of visitors coming to Hong Kong? Uh, uh, in fact, uh, we, we did a research okay, to ask a few restaurant owners. In Hong Kong, uh, and the opportunity there should be something like those concerts, yeah, major things from, from uh, the city. Yeah. They may draw quite a lot of people. Yeah, because uh, before or after, people will go to restaurant, okay, uh, to have a meal, yeah, before going to, to, to see the concerts. Yeah. Right. And Mr. Kong, I just want to get your view on the Night Vibes campaign. I mean, earlier uh, we heard from Mr. Kwan. He says that there's not enough variety. And Mr. Cho, he said it did help with the hotel industry. Um, what's the view from other restaurants? I mean, did they take part in the Night Vibes campaign? And, and what's their view of it? Um, well, uh, in fact, the night market, we see one point, which is... Uh, to increase the job opportunities here. Yeah. Uh, quite a lot of people, they, they start uh, to sell the product, and, and when we go to another market, we may find some new product as well. Something more interesting to draw the people, uh, to join the industry, and also yeah, um, to, to, to try to buy something new uh, in that area. Uh, Those small things that people are willing to spend money on. You know. Maurice mm -hmm. Kong, I want to ask you a little bit about these um, night markets. So, um, Many of the visitors are from the mainland over the past weekend, and we've created these night markets. Now, on the mainland itself, there are many similar night markets in major cities. These are, in a way, more organic. They have always been there, and it's just a local culture for people to go on that evening stroll and, and eat at the night market. They're not created as an event as they are in Hong Kong. How can we um, reach that point in which the local markets has, has just become a sort of everyday affair? And is that even a good idea? Uh, I, I think we did take time. Uh, as we all know, for the past three years, uh, nothing happened okay, yeah, because of COVID. Yeah. And, and, and quite about a long time ago, those night markets uh, also used to be a really um, good uh, spot for tourists. Yeah. Uh, I, I believe we need to take more time, okay, uh, to deal with that kind of, you know, uh, environment, and especially now um, there are many new sports, okay, uh, it's good for night market. Um, well, we, we may try uh, and to see the results in the coming future. Okay, um, Andy Kwan, what do you think? Can can we can we have a sort of new trend in Hong Kong where going out to these night markets is is just a local culture? Is is that even viable? I mean, you know, we 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 used to have these things in Wan Chai and and Mong Kok, yes. but you know. Hmm. Um, I think like uh, it's due to the change in behavior, and also like. Uh, if you look at the uh, Mong Kok, the Temple Street, you know, uh, I'm office is cl uh, very close to Temple Street. And uh, yeah, it's uh, basically not many people there. At night, it's quite, quite quiet. So I think that um, the government should really think hard 
how to jumpstart this area again. Uh, I think they do have, uh, they do think about certain events, try to push it, but they do have to realize that they got to understand how come people don't go to that, those areas. Are those areas outdated or they need some new elements to, to be there? And uh, I can see people like uh, taking pictures outside of Thames Street, but I don't see people going into the Thames Street. That's a big difference there. So I think uh, the, in terms of the Mong Kok area, I think, um, and also the, the, the like uh, areas in um, Jesse's areas, okay? Uh, I think they do have to think hard how to attract more people. They cannot use, they cannot stick to the old strategies. They need to certain, they need to create certain new events that attract people. But as a whole, Hong Kong need, needs some new events, new festivals. And, uh, and try to learn from uh, places like uh, UK, uh, Sydney, uh, London, and Montreal. Those places, they they are famous in terms of attracting uh, people and keeping locals there, uh, because they have all kinds of events going on, and they can see whatever they want, and uh, it's many things to see, and uh, it's very entertaining. So I. I do have to uh, think the government should have a long-term plan in terms of pushing the night economy. When you look at the UK government, they have a certain estimate for the for the low for the night economy is about 45% of the total economy. And you look at the Australia, they have certain estimate. But Hong Kong just started, basically, it just started a few weeks ago. A few weeks ago, <laughs> trying to push the night economy, but the night economy is always there. But it's just restart. But we need to restart, we need to re-energize, but we need to reintroduce many new elements in the new economy. Otherwise, the new economy cannot survive, cannot survive long. Mm-hmm. What, about, what about during the day? In, you know, we have things like um, the theme parks and, and the Nongping 360. Those things are, are meant for daytime travelers. Do we need what other ideas do you have that will encourage you know not just people who go out at night but people who go out mm. during the day as well? What, no. what kind of incentive do you think we no. should have? No. The, the thing is, there's a between a day economy and a night economy. Day economy, we have many workers working, and basically, they, most of the uh, labor force work during the daytime, and uh, at the night time, you have a certain degree of uh, labor force, but a low degree. So. It's a different story, and the daytime is more like for uh, it's catering for for tourists. Tourists are like uh, you can see a 24-hour visitors, right? Take for this way. So you need to provide uh, day entertainment and night entertainment. So those places you mentioned are good places to visit. Uh, at the same time, but uh, tourists get bored when you don't have any night activities. And that's why like Japan uh, tried to rewind their tourism by introducing night tourism, even South Korea. Uh, do, uh, do, uh, does the same thing here, but uh, I think it's a little bit like uh, slow in terms of starting the night economy. But uh, I think, but it's not too late to catch up. And uh, there are many things that the government has to think about. They need to set up a really an official office to have a long term plan to do it. It's not something like they can just think something from the uh, way from sky and then do it right away and without thinking about their long term strategy. You can look at the Wan Chai night market and. Uh, it, 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 it didn't have enough, initially, it didn't have enough sufficient electricity to begin with. I think you, everything is rushing, you know. So they need to sit down and think it properly to have some kind of uh, a long-term plan. Otherwise, you know, it's not going to be successful, okay? 
Casper Cho, of course, we, you know, the Night Vibes campaign is supposed to carry over to Christmas and, and New Year. How are bookings doing? Um, it's a bit too early to tell. Um, traditionally, I think uh, uh, travelers, uh, they would uh, uh, book their hotels maybe a month ahead okay. uh, with the uh, online okay. platform. Okay, sorry. You need to hold that thought because we're coming up to half past. We'll continue that discussion in a minute. But now let's take a look at the weather. Today we have sunny periods. It's very hot during the day. The maximum temperature will be around 34 degrees in urban areas and a couple of degrees high in the new territories. Isolated showers and thunderstorms. Is light to moderate north to easterly winds. The outlook is still for very hot weather tomorrow. Uh, right now, the outside temperature is 31 degrees Celsius and the relative humidity 67%. And here's Frank Young with the news. The hospital authority says eligible residents can receive free flu vaccines at public hospitals and clinics starting from tomorrow. Those eligible include people aged 65 and over and pediatric outpatients with high-risk conditions. Economist Jeffrey Sachs says Hong Kong and China are at the forefront of helping the world achieve sustainable development. The Columbia University professor was in Hong Kong receiving an honorary doctorate in social sciences from the Chinese university. He described China as being at the forefront of green technology. And the U.S. House of Representatives has voted to oust the Republican Speaker Kevin McCarthy. He's the first speaker in the history of the United States to be removed from office by the chamber. The motion was introduced by the hardline Republican Matt Gates. He's criticized Mr. McCarthy for reaching a temporary spending deal with the Democrats to avoid a government shutdown. I'll have more news at 10. Wow, you look so good, darling. <laughs> really? You don't smell like cigarettes anymore. The doctor said my blood pressure has improved too. Friends said I play basketball better after quitting. I knew you could do it, dear. I'm going to ask my friends to quit smoking. Everyone supports you to quit smoking. Don't give up. Quit now. Call 1-833-183. The government has launched HKE Toll. With a vehicle tag, there is no need to stop to pay tunnel tolls. Tolls will be deducted from your account automatically. Starting from 5 a.m. on August 27th, HKE Toll is implemented at the Eastern Harbour Crossing. When using toll tunnels that don't have HKE Toll yet, please continue to use the existing payment methods. Visit hketoll.gov.hk for more. Drive smart with HKE Toll. Welcome back to Backchat. And this morning, we are talking about Hong Kong's performance over the holiday weekend, the Mid-Autumn Festival and National Day. And still with us um, on the line is Casper Cho with the Federation of Hong Kong Hotel Owners. And just before the break, we were talking about how uh, what are some of the expectations for the hotel industry over the upcoming Christmas and New Year period. Casper Cho? Yes. Uh, yeah, I was just saying, um, I, I think with the May and the recent international holiday, uh, we were quite confident that, you know, the tourists are coming back to Hong Kong. Um, the question is whether or not we have enough flights, whether enough, uh, whether we have enough manpower, whether or not we have enough sufficient events or new events to uh, attract those uh, uh, tourists, uh, besides mainland as well. Uh, because when we were discussing about the flights, uh, it's not so much about the local airline. I mean, we have airlines from elsewhere wanting to 
fly to Hong Kong, but uh, with this insufficient manpower on the ground crew, uh, they've been turned away. So my question is uh, whether or not um, when they uh, resume a flights coming to Hong Kong, uh, they're looking at the destination and the airlines. Are we um, allowing flights to allow local vessels to fly out, like say to Japan uh, for shopping? Uh, but are they coming to Hong Kong? Are we opening flights that allows you know tourists who wish to come to Hong Kong, but the flights are not available? You know, are there any coordination there? Uh, because I, I've been hearing that we have uh, tourists uh, wanting to come uh, uh, from, say, Thailand on the flights, but we are having a lot of new flights going to Japan where, you know, local residents are flying over there. Um, so you know, these are some of the, you know, the minor things that we, you know, need uh, government coordination about. Uh, but then again, we look at the events uh, that we want to attract more tourists coming to Hong Kong. I think we do. We do have lots of events lining up. Uh, like I said earlier, the West Kowloon Cultural District, they have many festivals uh, organized for the rest of the year. Uh, the theme park, I mean, we go to Disneyland, you know, they have a new, you know, uh, section opening at the end of the year, you know, first in the, you know, in, in the world. Uh, and that's going to attract a lot of tourists coming to Hong Kong. Uh, in terms of sports-wise, I'm, I'm also the vice chairman for, of, of the Hong Kong Football Association. Uh, uh, besides the, um, the World Cup qualifier that we're going to have at 12 of October in Hong Kong, uh, we are actually organizing and, and getting ready for some more uh, 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 football matches and events you know, for the next six months coming to Hong Kong. So, you know, a lot of exciting things are happening. Uh, what we need is, uh, I agree with the others, uh, uh, I guess, Earlier, does the government have a coordination, you know, uh, department, you know, someone leading the charge, coordinating with all the different uh, bureaus and departments so that there's a coordinated effort, that we have a strategy and it's also long term, you know, not just so, you know, a, 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 a firework one thing, you know, is it going to be recurrent? Are we learning from the experience that we have uh, uh, learned from the past? A year so that we can do better because uh, our competitors, uh, not just the neighboring uh, uh, countries, but you know, uh, look at Sunjun. Um, it's very coordinated. I mean, it's, it's well planned. They have basically a structured uh, bus route to you know attract Hong Kong residents. Take that bus, you know, come to a certain point, spend, eat, sleep, and stay, and then we'll send you back after the holiday. You know, that is a good strategy. Are we learning? A little bit about uh, you know what they're doing and what we can learn from them, or how can we improve based on uh, 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 what we have launched in the past six months? You know, these are a lot of things that you know government can do. Right. So, so you also uh, agreed to, to uh, for the government to set up some kind of a office or a new department to do all the coordination uh, regarding uh, tourism in Hong Kong. Then, um, who who do you think should make up this uh, new department? Well, um, uh, you know, recently government has a lot of new task force. Uh, uh, to be honest, uh, the 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 uh, the cultural sports and tourism bureau they should be the one taking charge. Uh, the tourism board they are very good in promotion, but you know what about the planning, the strategy, the coordination with the rest of the industry like the catering, the hotel, the tour group, uh, the airport airline. You know, you need to get everybody together. Um, so, like I said, uh, you know, uh, the bureau is very clear. You, know, you have the cultural, sports, and tourism. You know, you know all the events, everything there. But you need also the convention to sit together. So, 
it, it's funny because right now in the old uh, days, uh, it, it's the economic uh, 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 bureau uh, where, where they would get everything together. Right now, it's under the two different uh, uh, chief secretary, financial secretaries line. So, you know, uh, I, I would be looking forward if they can have a task force that can get all the sectors together so we can sit down and map out and trying to iron out, you know, improve on uh, what we've learned in the past. Okay. Um, you know, Hong Kong did open up after uh, many of the places around Southeast Asia after the pandemic. The singer Taylor Swift, for example, went over to Singapore instead of coming here. Are these tourists, are these high-spending tourists now going elsewhere and they're, they're not coming here anymore? Did that late opening after pandemic have an impact, do you think? Mm, not so much. Maybe initially for the first month or so, because, uh, say, when Singapore opened up, you know, uh, conventions, they, they start booking there. But, you know, a lot of uh, events also came back to Hong Kong because Hong Kong still has its uniqueness. We are the gateway to China. But those who wish to come to Hong Kong, it's because of the greater China market as well. And not to mention all the Chinese cities that are also coming to Hong Kong trying to reach out. I mean, recently, uh, uh, the Italian uh, tourist minister was in Hong Kong, uh, you know, looking at the potential to, to cooperate and enhance uh, collaboration uh, uh, here in Hong Kong and, and other cities in China and Greater Bay. So, you know, uh, we shouldn't be too worried about, you know, whether or not we were a bit late because uh, Hong Kong's strength and uniqueness are still there. Uh, but we need to uh, not get too uh, uh, cocky and overconfidence because the neighboring cities, uh, uh, they are really competitive right now. I mean, we have lost a few convention uh, big events recently because um, uh, other countries are, are, are using money to, to, to basically um, get the events to their country or cities. Uh, so, you know, government, you know, Hong Kong government is, is just basically, you know, sitting still and, 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 and thinking that we have all the infrastructure and strength that, you know, the, the event is going to come. We need to be more aggressive because the rest of the world, uh, they, are, they are more aggressive than we are. So what kind of strategy does the hotel industry have over the Christmas period? Are you offering discounts? Are you offering dining coupons? What kind of strategy do you have? Um, again, Hong Kong, we, we sell service. Uh, we're going to have more uh, uh, prestigious uh, 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 fine dining and uh, event uh, packages. You know, people come to Hong Kong not just because, uh, because we're cheap. Uh, we are selling quality service. And uh, with the uh, list of events that is lining up in Hong Kong, we're going to try to work with the uh, cultural sector, sports sector, the local economy, and all the conventions to see we can uh, get more packages and and tourists come to Hong Kong because of the experience. Okay, and we're going to continue to maintain. Good. Thank you very much, Casper Choi, the Federation of Hong Kong Hotel Owners. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on two double three double eight two double six and have your say. And so it's now 9.40. Uh, we are going to be joined uh, with uh, Dr. Kate Chan. She's an associate professor at Chinese University Medicine Department of Pediatrics. And we're talking about a new study on obstructive sleep apnea in children. Good morning, Dr. Chan. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. What are the key findings in your study? 
Oh, um, yes. Uh, thank you for inviting me. So uh, we know that uh, obstructive sleep apnea in children is uh, quite a common disease and also uh, is a quite important disease because uh, it's associated with various complications like higher blood pressure in children. But then uh, whether treatment can improve the blood pressure remains not very clearly known. So uh, that's why we conducted a randomized control trial to see whether uh, surgical treatment can improve the blood pressure in children with uh, OSA with the obstructive sleep apnea. So in our study, we uh, randomly allocated around 100 children with uh, the disease to either early surgery or watchful waiting. And then at the follow-up, we found that among children with more severe disease, the early surgical treatment can help to improve the nighttime blood pressure together with the improvement of the disease and the symptoms. But then at the same time, uh, we also observed some more weight gain uh, in children who have had uh, surgery, uh, which was not observed in the those uh, who did not have surgery. And the increase in the body weight actually paralleled the increase in the blood pressure. And so the improvement in the blood pressure uh, after surgery may be partially masked by the weight gain following the surgery. So concluding from the study, uh, we think that surgical treatment could improve the OSA disease and also the blood pressure in children having more severe disease. But then uh, we also observe weight gain after the treatment and then uh, maybe leading to higher blood pressure. And so when managing children with the disease with the obstructive sleep apnea, we uh, propose that uh, surgery alone is not adequate. But then a healthy lifestyle, healthy diet and also regular exercise is also very important uh, for better treatment outcomes. So how common is uh, sleep apnea in children in Hong Kong? Yeah, so from our previous uh, study, we found that around uh, 5% of uh, primary school age children in Hong Kong uh, have uh, this disease, obstructive sleep apnea. Um, is this with, so in, in adults, sleep apnea, is typ- a typical symptom would be snoring. I expect the same would be um, for children. But what other symptoms should parents be looking out for? Yeah, uh, snoring is a very common symptom, uh, so very similar to adults. But then in children, uh, we often also observe that uh, they may have oral breathing during sleep. Uh, they may have a nice wet during sleep because of the difficulty uh, in breathing. And also some children may uh, uh, manifest with some daytime symptoms because of the poor sleep. That uh, they may have poor attention, they may appear restless or even hyperactive during the day. And some children may also have difficulty uh, in learning, uh, in memory, and uh, in some behavioral problems. So our parents uh, would be uh, need to watch out for the disease if other children have those uh, symptoms. Right, and when we look at uh, sleep apnea in children, um, you're, you're saying that many many of the cases uh, involve primary school students. Is it something that uh, they can grow out of? I mean, since children are still developing, is uh, surgery really necessary at, at that early age? Yeah. So some children may grow out of the disease. Uh, from our previous study, we observed that uh, some children, uh, especially, say, girl with milder disease, uh, they may grow out of the disease. But I think uh, the problem is when they are having the disease, uh, they often have uh, poor sleep and also sometimes uh, poor daytime functioning, like affecting their learning, their behavior, attention, etc. So I think uh, it very depends on the severity of the disease and symptoms and then uh, the causes of the disease and then decide on the treatment approach. So say if, if in some children they are having very severe symptoms, severe disease, uh, they may uh, benefit from earlier treatment, say surgery. Okay, so um, I need to stop you there because we just have a message from the transport department and they announced that right now at around 9.40 that the light rail service disruption due to traffic accident at Yunlong, 
station. So the, the light rail service um, has, is disrupted because of a traffic accident in Yunlong. And the right, light rail service between Tongfoktun and Yunlong stops has been suspended. So you need to look for alternative transport if you're thinking of using the light rail there. And members of the public are advised to pay attention to radio and television announcement on the latest traffic and public transport service. Uh, so again, Transport Department is saying um, because of a traffic accident, Yunlong stop for light rail is not working right now. And also light rail between Tongfokchun and Yunlong um, has also been suspended. Sorry about the disruption, Dr. Chan. Uh, we were, we're talking about sleep apnea in children. Um, are certain types of children more vulnerable? So, for example, is obesity a factor? Yes, uh, absolutely. So I uh, saw children, and uh, actually the commonest cause would be the uh, enlarged tonsils and adenoids that obstruct the uh, airway uh, during sleep, especially during sleep, uh, leading to a disease. But then there are other risk factors uh, like obesity. Yeah, so if uh, children are overweight or obese, uh, there may be some fat deposition over the neck, over the tummy, that may also affect the breathing during sleep. So obesity is another risk factor. So you, you talk about uh, surgical intervention and how that is not enough. Afterwards, there need to be a change in lifestyle. Before we even get to the surgical convention, can, are there certain things about parents can do to change a lifestyle so in order to avoid surgery? I think uh, it depends on the cause of the disease. So uh, if in some children, say, being overweight or obese uh, is the cause of the disease, then uh, very importantly, uh, the change in the lifestyle, like a uh, more healthy diet, more exercise, will help uh, to improve the disease. Do, do you see a, a rising trend in Hong Kong to, in sleep apnea uh, or just weight gain in general among children? Yeah, I, I, we would suspect there may be a rising trend because especially after COVID, actually we observe uh, more children are being overweight and obese. And uh, we know that uh, obesity is a risk factor. So uh, there's uh, quite a high chance that uh, it's getting more common in Hong Kong. Yeah. And uh, Dr. Chan, you, you mentioned earlier that uh, this uh, surgery you're talking about is um, most effective for, for severe cases. So what, what, uh, what is uh, considered a severe case? How, how do we know? How can we tell? Yeah, so we usually do a sleep study, polysomnography, to uh, diagnose the disease and also to grade the severity of the disease. That uh, In that sleep study, we recall uh, the brain waves, the oxygen level, the heart rate, snoring, of, and also breathing. So we analyze uh, those signals to de determine whether the children have any pauses or breathing difficulty during sleep. And from that uh, sleep study, we derive an index, uh, which is known as the apnea hypopnea index, which is very commonly used to grade the severity of the disease. And in children, we are very often define severe disease as having an index of more than 10 events per hour, which means on average having 10 events of uh, difficulty breathing during, uh, during sleep, per hour of sleep. But then besides uh, the sleep study, we are also assess the severity by symptoms, like uh, what I have mentioned before, whether the children have uh, poor sleep uh, or frequent weakening due to breathing difficulty, or uh, whether the children have any daytime symptoms because of the poor sleep, yeah, such as a poor attention, behavioral problems, etc. Right. And if uh, the surgery is not carried out, I mean, when the, the child becomes an adult, what, what sort of uh, risk is this uh, child or adult facing? I think uh, from our previous study, we found that children, if uh, they are having more severe disease at childhood, uh, they may uh, have a persistent disease. 
uh, in the adulthood. And also they may have a higher blood pressure or even hypertension in the adulthood. So these uh, would be one of the uh, uh, very important complications that uh, we need to be aware of. So, so there'll be more risk of uh, heart disease? Yeah, yeah. Right. And when we talk about this uh, surgery, I mean, we didn't really get into the detail. What exactly will be uh, uh, removed from this child? Yeah, so uh, if uh, the cause of the uh, disease uh, in the children is because of the enlarged uh, tonsils and adenoids, then uh, very uh, often the first-line treatment will be the surgical removal of the tonsils and adenoids, which is also known as adenotonsillectomy. Um, so you, you said earlier that surgery is not enough and then there need to be a change in lifestyle. Uh, from our experience, these children, after the surgery and the change in lifestyle, do you, what are their chances of, uh, you know, if you call it full recovery or yeah. mm-hmm. reduced yeah. risk of cardiovascular disease? Yeah, this is a very good question. So uh, in uh, non-obese children, non-overweight children, uh, the, uh, usually if the major cause of the disease is enlarged tonsils or adenoids, then after the surgery, the cure rate can be up to 80%. But then uh, if uh, the children is overweight or obese, uh, sometimes the surgery uh, cure rate may be just uh, like uh, 50 to 60%. So together with the healthy lifestyle, uh, uh, healthy diet and regular exercise would be very important to improve the disease. And how, how com- complex is the uh, diagnosis? You, you, you talk about monitoring sleep pattern, etc. You know, if, if I have a snoring child, how, how complicated is the diagnosis? I think uh, the com- uh, complexity with the diagnosis is um, uh, that uh, very often uh, the children may have uh, different factors uh, contributing to the disease. So some children may have, say, both uh, obesity and also together with enlarged tonsils or an adenoids. And also some children may have other uh, factors as well, uh, such as allergorhinitis, uh, the uh, craniofacial morphology, uh, the structure of their face, uh, airway, etc. So sometimes uh, uh, it, would, it may be quite difficult to uh, fully delineate, delineate uh, the exact cause of the disease. So uh, that's why apart from the sleep study, sometimes we also do other uh, sort of investigations, other sort of tests to uh, try to uh, find out the uh, causes of the disease so that uh, we can design the treatment approach better. Uh, the proportion of Hong Kong children um, who have sleep apnea any higher or lower than children elsewhere? Uh, I think uh, um, from our study, our, uh, the prevalence of uh, OSA in school-age children is uh, quite similar to uh, other overseas studies, what was uh, reported in other, other overseas studies. Uh, are children of a certain age, so you talk about primary school age children, uh, of course we all know that when children come into puberty there are lots of changes to the body. Are there certain age groups that parents should be particularly observant about? Yeah. Actually, uh, OSA is also very common in preschool age children, and uh, the reported uh, prevalence is around also around one to six percent in some uh, uh, studies elsewhere. But then uh, the prevalence uh, in adolescent or teenage age group is uh, less uh, reported, and uh, we are actually performing another study about the prevalence of the OSA in teenagers that uh, we hope to share the results later. So, you, you, preschool age, you're talking about yeah. two, three year old people that. Yes, yes. Yeah, kindergarten children. Yeah, it's also very common because uh, at, during that age, uh, usually the tonsils and adenoids are larger. Yeah, so uh, during sleep, they are more prone to uh, cause some upper airway obstruction, yeah, and leading to the disease.
Yeah. Right. And when you talk about surgery, I mean, what uh, what type of children are, are suitable for for a surgery? I mean, what age should they be? Uh, should they get the surgery? I think uh, uh, there is no definite age. Uh, whether say they should or should not uh, get. Uh, receive the surgery. I think uh, it very depends on the severity of the disease, uh, whether the tonsils or adenoids are enlarged, or uh, whether these cause the disease. But you're saying that it's common in preschool children, two to three year old, and you know that they are obese. And when you talk about lifestyle, I mean, two or three year old people don't don't really have lifestyle they don't they don't do exercise uh, uh, per se you know um what kind of lifestyle changes would parents need to watch out for for such young children i think uh, um, regular exercise also uh, may be important yeah in uh, preschool age children because i think uh, nowadays um, in hong kong we also observe that children may have um quite much uh, extracurricular activities or other academic stress that uh, may actually limit their exercise time. But not yeah, a so three-year-old. Yeah, but not for no. three-year-old. <laughs> yeah, but I think that it would be good to build up the habits from young, yeah, like uh, healthy diets, healthy diets, balanced diets, and also um, a healthy uh, lifestyle from so, young age. So yeah. something like, so, so parents are, are recommended to cut down on the sugars and candies, that kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so you mentioned earlier that you know this study is for primary age school children. As far as you know, is there evidence to show that older um, children, you know, teenagers, people between sixteen and eighteen, is sleep apnea a common phenomenon with with these people? Now they they have lifestyle. They you know some are pretty sedentary. Yeah, I think uh, OSA are definitely uh, also an issue in teenagers and also like young adults. So uh, of course uh, the uh, causes of the disease may be quite different from younger children. That uh, in teenagers it may be more related to obesity. It's a uh, more adult-like disease. Yeah, so from our previous study we also found that uh, teenage OSA are, uh, has a higher chance uh, to persist into adulthood. So I think uh, for teenagers, uh, and then lifestyle um, uh, modification, uh, better weight control, prevention of obesity will be very uh, important. Okay, well, thank you very much, Dr. Kei Chan from Chinese University's Medicine Department of Pediatrics. And now we're going to join Jamie Clark from our sport desk to tell us the latest on what's happening at the 19th Asian Games, which is going on in Hangzhou. It's going to go on until the 8th of October. What do you have for us this morning, Jamie? Yeah, the, the Hong Kong got one one medal, one more medal yesterday, one more medal added to their hall. Uh, that was a bronze in road cycling, Vincent Lau in the men's individual time trial. And that means... Hong Kong are creeping closer to their record medals haul of 46 that they achieved in 2018 in uh, Jakarta. Um, and yeah, they're guaranteed to reach that in the next day or two. Uh, they're guaranteed medals in squash, bronze medal matches today. There's a mixed doubles bronze medal match um, against Indian pair. Um, a women's singles bronze medal match between two Hong Kong squash players, Chan Sin Yuk and Ho Tse Lok. So that will be a guaranteed bronze and then either a silver or gold tomorrow and uh, men's singles as well we've got another bronze medal match with a Hong Kong athlete in so yeah guaranteed to hit 46 today and tomorrow and the men's football team they're in the semi-finals right? yeah so it's a, a football and this is the furthest the Hong Kong team have got in the 
football tournament in the Asian Games. In 1958, they reached the quarterfinals. That was the men's senior team. But since 2002, the under-23 sides have been going. So this is the, the furthest... Hong Kong have ever got, but also the furthest they've got with the under-23 side. So they, they only played two games in their group, the group stages and lost both to Uzbekistan, who were in the other semi-final, but they had wins over Palestine and Iran in the knockout rounds. So they've made it to the semi-final. They're against Japan tonight at 6pm, and Japan are unbeaten, so that'll be a tricky game. But still, it's an amazing achievement for, for those under-23s. And um, what else should we look, we'd be looking at for the Asian Games between now and the 8th? So it's the first day of the, the men's and women's dragon boat races today, the men's and women's 200-metre sprints today, so that, that should be fun. The heats and the final this morning, so the finals are just after 10am, um, and it's the only, only the third time dragon boat races have been an event at the Asian Games, so that should, be, that should be good. Sports climbing started yesterday, that's kind of amazing to watch. You've got these people scrabbling. It's so rock climbing, yeah? Yeah, um, but really quick. They're going up with, in a matter of seconds. Um, and yeah, they've got the men's and women's speed relay today. Um, Hong Kong have team in the men's. Right. And what about uh, other sports events that uh, maybe maybe Hong Kong isn't in, like uh, Kabaddi? I don't, I'm not really familiar with that. Or uh, another one that, that it's, uh, it's about, uh, what, kicking volleyball? I'm not really familiar with that. Can you tell us more about it? Yeah. What is so it called? Uh, this one's called Septacraw. Is that called the Septacraw? Yeah. Right. This is. These are really good. We've they, they've been on the past couple of days. Hong Kong aren't in them, but Kabaddi first is one of the oldest sports in the world. It's a, it's two teams, a t two teams, a team sport, and you score points by attacking and defending. As an attacker, you raid into the other opponent's half while holding your breath. You've got to hold your breath and you're trying to tap other members of the team to get points. And as the defending team, you basically have to stay away and either wrestle the opponent to the ground or try and outlast the, your opponent's breath. So that's an interesting one. And yeah, Sepak Takraw, the gold medal matches are today. It's basically a foot volleyball game. Um, they're really good and yeah, they'll be amazing. It's a volleyball cool. game, but then you kick the ball around, right? You can only use your, your feet, your knees, your chest, your head. Um, and yeah, it's a similar rules to volleyball, similar looking court. You've got a net between the two teams, but yeah, you're not allowed to use your hands. So that's a fun one. You see them doing overhead kicks, flips. Um, yeah, it's a good one. Which are the teams to watch out for in that? So the finals today, so they're uh, uh, Southeast Asian teams predominantly. I think... Uh, um, Myanmar and Indonesia are currently playing um, but yeah so yes they're the gold medal matches all the way through this morning so they'll be the, the best teams will be competing and that'll be good okay well thank you Jamie and so if you want to follow the latest results throughout the day you can also go on our website or download the RTHK news app uh, thank you today for uh, Janice and also our, um, our producer Raphael Blatt Thank you for joining us this morning. We're now coming up to 10 o'clock. THK the news at 10 with Frank Young. The hospital authority says eligible residents can receive free flu vaccine 